0: This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's Inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life podcast, bringing back a fan favorite to the show, Mary Catherine Ham. Uh, Mary Catherine, welcome to the Resilient Life. Thank you very much. Glad to be back. Yes, yes. And you know, I, I had you on um, as one of our first guests, and your first female guest, and and you know, really to kind of share your story, but. Um, I had you on a second time and, and we talked a little bit, a uh, topic driven and that episode performed so well because I always say you bring such a balanced and unique perspective to any topic. And so, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot and is, you know, when we talk about this idea of resilience and, you know, where we are today, right, um, is the relationship between safety and resilience. And, right. you know, it, it's natural to wanna protect yourself and your family during challenging times. And I think about today where we are, all of the different things that you're thinking about with the safety of your, your family. And, um, but this past year has really highlighted the tendency for people to live in a bubble. And, right. you know, it, it, it's this fine line between, I, I mean, for me, it's like safety and lunacy. You know, and I think that it, it's a slippery slope and uh, I, I, I love to get your thoughts on, you know, just this general concept and idea and then let's let's dive in a little deeper to the topic.
1: Yeah, I think so resilience is something that's important as a topic to to both of us, and I think uh, it's sort of become or needs to become an everyday topic because a lot of people have, um, I think, lost the muscles for this if they ever had them uh, during especially these two years. I think there's been atrophy during these two years uh, since March, 2020, that we've been dealing with a pandemic uh, which is uh, just to stipulate a very dangerous and serious thing that we're an unprecedented uh, in many ways that we're all sort of wrestling with. So there's a lot of grace to be given for how people are managing. Um, But two years in, I do think that there are some discouraging signs of how we have handled things. And I don't mean that like testing and that kind of thing. I mean, I mean, like, how are we handling it in our individual lives? Uh, How are we handling it, particularly when it comes for policy for children, uh, who I think really have gotten the short end of the stick here because the ability for society to analyze risk for them Uh, has not been exercised, and so they are at generally very low risk for COVID illness and for serious COVID illness, Uh, and yet they have been treated in many cases, particularly large cities, as if they are just as vulnerable as your everyday grandparent, Um, and as such, they've lost a lot of activities and life and school and learning and security and all the things that make their lives great. in sacrifice to this one concern. And I think that's overall, when it comes to COVID in the past couple of years, uh, what concerns me is that there is a, perspective is extremely important in life. And when you focus on one threat, and it is a threat, when you focus on one threat almost exclusively, it will change your ability to rationally weigh that threat. And that that's something that I, feel really passionately about, because if you let a threat that is real, um, rule your life without making decisions about how and why, and how much headspace it should take up, you're going to drive yourself a little crazy Yeah,
0: (laughs) and and make your life less fun and good. And I, I, I want people to live rewarding lives. Yeah. And I think about, you know, again, as we enter into, you know, year two of this pandemic, you know, I remember in March of 2020, I remember I went on, I I went on The View in April. And we did, they wanted to talk to me about the effects that the last six weeks have had on our children, their mental health and them being closed in and not able to do the things that they wanna do. And I'm like, oh my God, like we're talking about the six week span and here we are today yeah. and, yeah. you know, and I watch these videos of people that had children, you know, in March of 2020 and they're showing like, this is the life that my child has lived for these past two years. And um, and then I saw this staggering report, uh, I actually saw it, somebody, um, Jason McCarthy, who I've had on the show, the founder of Go Rock, uh, posted just today that overweight youth will soon outnumber underweight youth for the first time ever in, in our history. And, you know, I think my daughter's, my, my daughter, my oldest daughter is in high school and, you know, they came back and I was convinced that they were going to go virtual. Um, they're very, uh, conservative with their approach to COVID, which is fine. And, um, but they came back and said, um, you know, they were just going to double down and 95 masks instead of cloth masks. Um, right. Yeah, it was, you know, and, and okay, that's fine. They're wearing masks anyway, whatever. And it said, and we are postponing any winter sports. And that for me was like the wow. I was like, yeah. wow. And so like, you look at all of these things and like you touch on it, like there are there's this idea of like focusing on one threat. So you're focusing yes. on this one thing, but you're taking away like, the physical activity that our children need to thrive and to grow. And, and mm-hmm. you're, you're just pushing that out the window. You're taking right. away this idea of like, let's get our kids outside, let, you know, let's do things that are gonna help them function and grow and thrive as individuals, all for one thing that, that again, for their population seems to right. be not as big as a threat as it does to other uh, individuals in society.
1: Yeah, I think, I think ironically, what you end up doing, like you said, is you take away things. Uh, the beauty of outside is that we've known from the beginning it's safer uh, when it comes to COVID transmission, no matter which strain it is, outside is safer. Um, there's very little chance of you getting it in the great outdoors. Um, and yet initially a bunch of parks were closed. The playgrounds were closed. Uh, and that that persisted here for months and months and months. Uh, and the the combination of the societal... Uh, edicts to say and stay inside and to uh, not engage in these activities, because some a lot of facilities were closed, uh, ironically leads you to a threat, which is a sedentary lifestyle, obesity increases, uh, drinking increases, mental health issues. All of these, of course, make you more vulnerable to, or not all of them, but a lot of them, the physical ones make you more vulnerable to COVID infection that becomes serious. Right. Uh, so we've sort of compounded our problems by not being able to weigh costs and benefits. And it's, I think as we started out, uh, you know, a lot of people agreed to in principle, okay, two, we're doing the, the two weeks to stop the spread, you know, it was 15 days, whatever it was. And it was, that was unprecedented. That was a very strange turn in American life, right? And to have your kids' school shut down for even a number of weeks was a very big deal. And everybody agreed to that largely in principle. Okay, we'll do this for this short period of time. That seems like we'll tap the brakes here, make sure the hospitals can handle what's coming. We'll learn a little bit as we go. But it didn't feel like we learned a little bit as we went uh, or adjusted accordingly. And I think the reason that this has become, people have become so angry about it, and of course there's politics too, but outside of that, and these two groups do align with politics, but one group agreed If we had just locked down harder at the beginning and everybody had stayed inside and you guys hadn't misbehaved, I wouldn't have been robbed of the cool things in my life for the last two years. And the other side says, you guys making us do this half-ass lockdown for two years has robbed me of my life. And I, I want to be able to make decisions about how to go out and what my risk profile is. Obviously, those two groups are going to be mad at each other, right? <laughs> and so, and so that's where we are now. But I I do think there's a happy medium, where we could have done something short term, made adjustments in lifestyles, learned things in, as we went, and then attempted to be as little intrusive on liberty and people's ability to make their own decisions as possible. But we didn't go that direction in many cases. Um, and I know I know that that has risks as well. That's the whole point, right? Making your decisions is going to have risks. You're going to have to assess where you are, what your health status is. My family was not particularly worried. We were already exposed at the beginning because my husband is a frontline first responder worker. And so we hung out with other families who were similarly exposed. We were young, the kids were young and I had a, I was pretty confident that uh, that our outcomes would be okay didn't want to gamble with this disease, was not looking to go get it, uh, and actually didn't for two years, got it in December of 2021, like everybody else did. Um, and I'm comfortable with that life that we led and it, it allowed us to keep our kids sort of stable, um, and to give them a lot of things to do, uh, and resources. It allowed me to stay mentally and physically healthy. It allowed our marriage, uh, to survive probably because we were able to sort just not sit in this house uh, at the beginning of our marriage 24 uh, seven together. Uh, love you, but like, you know, that's a lot. Uh, and so, but there are a lot of people who would look at my family and say, well, you guys are the ones who messed it up, right? I don't think that's the case because I think zero COVID as many are coming to realize was not a realistic or even maybe possible prospect. And so I think that's, that's what we have to contend with now. Um, regardless of whether you think someone else ruined it for you, that is not something we're going to accomplish at this point. And so now you have to learn to make your own calls about what you do in the world.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, I look at, I look at COVID in right now where we are, is this like ultimate exercise in what direction you're going to go when faced with risk. Yeah. Right. So yeah. like, can, can some risk be considered good? right? And when and why is risk considered good? And I, and, and, you know, and risk resilience kind of moving forward. And I've, I've thought about it a lot because, you know, when, when Travis was killed, I, I talk about it in my book. It was just a few weeks before Travis was killed. I distinctly remember being in my house. Um, Maggie, my oldest was 10 months old and uh, there was this moment of clarity where i was in i was in my kitchen and my dog was outside and maggie was up against the slider and she had her hands up against the slider and the dog was jumping up and they were just having this like moment and it was cute maggie was laughing and the dog was barking at her and i don't know i was cooking something in the kitchen dave was at work and I, I was overwhelmed with this feeling of like pure contentment of everything in my life. Um, I'd kind of come out of that postpartum slump. I was feeling right. good about myself where I was. And I was just like, everything is so perfect right now. Um, and when Travis was killed, I actually reflected back on that moment and it scared the crap out of me. Because I was yeah. like, oh, my God, was that some sort of premonition? Like, Because it was this weird moment where I was like, everything is perfect. Right. And um, after Travis was killed, I was like, I, f- I feel like that was some sort of premonition. Like, yeah, right. capture it right now because it's going to go away. And for a while, I kind of like lived in this little bubble of fear where I was like, when's the other shoe going to drop? And yeah. any time I would get that moment of feeling okay when I was dealing with my grief with Travis and there would be little times where I was happy and like feeling that feeling of happiness was a weird feeling after his death. And when I would feel happy, I would get scared and I'd be like, Oh my gosh, something's going to happen. So I lived in the, for, for I would say probably the first year in this perpetual state of fear, waiting for something to happen. And I think that COVID has like put people into that space where they're yeah. just and and frankly, I've had moments where I'm just like, uh, you know, oh crap, is it coming? Where is it? Like, right. know, COVID's just like at the door. Like when, yes. like I'm envious of you, where you're like, yep, we all had it. I'm like, damn <laughs> it, you know, it's just, we did the thing. Yeah, it was you, very trendy yeah. in December. So right, but you um, feel it kind of knocking at your door, and you and you subconsciously or consciously make decisions based on that. And you know, yeah. for for Christmas. Um, We typically host uh, in in years past, since I've been born, there's always a Mannion family Christmas party. And I took over hosting seven years ago um, where we have over a hundred people at our house on Christmas day. Last year, of course, we did not do that. But this year I was kind of in between. I'm like, all right, not having a hundred people inside. But we were like, all right, are we, maybe we'll have like the people that are close, close around us. We had about 30 people here. And we went back okay. and forth on the decision yes. of whether or not to do that. And it wasn't based off of fear of getting COVID, but it was more the inconvenience. We were leaving for Florida the next day. And I'm like, well, if mm-hmm. one of us gets it, then we're kind of screwed or, you know, right. like totally. that. But, you know, I, I, I think that I look back to that time in my life where I was like led by fear, where I was afraid right. to do things based off of one occurrence. And I feel like it's put people into that place a little bit.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've been there too. Uh, When my husband was killed in a bike wreck, it was 2015. I was pregnant with my second child. Uh, I had a toddler. Uh, There was a lot to reckon with. Yeah. Uh, And I remember very early on um, recognizing, okay. And this is is perfectly natural. There's nothing wrong with it in the early stages, especially uh, when my daughter went off with somebody for an errand or a shopping trip. I just said, well, keep texting me because I'm just, I'm up here with anxiety and like, I'm, I'm going to, but here was the thing that I also recognize is you need to, you need to let her do normal things. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just hold on to her, uh, in that, even in that situation. So I was anxious about that. Uh, but I, something about my brain recognized that I needed to be pushing through that feeling. Um, and it's, it's not something you can just reason away, right? It's anxiety. Uh, and so this is, I worry about people because I don't want to just grab people by the lap- That's not true. I want to grab people by the lapels and yell at them like, <laughs> you can do things, right? Yeah. But that doesn't actually solve the problem. So I am I understand feeling that way. Um, and I, I want people to gain and think about tools for pushing through that. Um, you know, I had plenty of Uh, Instances. I think early, early on in my grief stages, uh, I had, I basically told myself, and I told a bunch of other people, that I was determined not to live afraid, and uh, that I would let my children do things, and that I would let them do sled rides, like this week when it snows, that I would let them ride bikes, uh, and that sometimes that would be scary, and I needed to deal with that, and I asked other people to hold me accountable for that because I thought that part of their lives was really important. And for, for me to take it from them because of this fear that I have was not fair to them. So I needed to figure out how to reckon with that and decide what was a what was a risk worth taking. So I actually, I mean, I spoke to my therapist uh, in the early days, or maybe it was, it was shortly within the year after. And I, I was invited to do a, a speech somewhere. And I was having trouble booking the ticket because I was afraid of the flight. And I had never been afraid of a flight before. Uh, but suddenly I'm the only parent for these children. And so I asked my therapist about it and she said, she said, okay, well, here's, I love, she's very practical. <laughs> here's, here's some thoughts. Um, do you know how to pack your bag? Yes. Do you know how to order an Uber to go to the airport? Yes. Do you know how to you know, tiny steps? And she said, you know, as as cliche as it is, those baby steps will build into the trip that you are scared of. And by the time you're there, you will realize that this was a fear, but it was not one that was based on a ton, right? And if you give into that fear, what will happen? You won't be able to go do speeches. You won't be able to travel to, for work. You won't be able to support your kids in the way that you have in the past. Um, or- Take them on trips, for instance. Uh, and so I still wrestle with that particular fear sometimes, but it is something that I have trained myself to, to push myself through. Yeah. Um, and there are tools for that. And I think that more encouraging people to do that and less of the unfortunate diet, th- hello media, which I am in, diet of sort of every story about COVID or the world in general has to be panicky. Uh, too much consumption of that uh, can lead you down just a a bad spiral.
0: Yeah. Well, I also think about it too. Like if, if safety, this idea of safety, right. Isn't the supreme driver for how we conduct our lives or, you know, the lives of our children. Like, what is it then? Like if it's not safety, what is it?
1: Well, you know, some of it is always going to be safety because we have like our lizard brains, this is the thing, like our lizard brains are programmed to see threats and to negotiate accordingly. Right. And so that's a natural tendency for everybody. And we, we kind of have to learn to work through uh, what's real and what's not. Um, Honestly, you know, I want my, I want my children to live fulfilled lives. uh, And that does not necessarily mean easy lives. And I think uh, I was given an early, somewhat early realization, as were you, that, spoiler alert, the bad thing will happen at some point, right? I mean, there, there is not a charmed life in which you have no hardship. Uh, and perhaps this is the hardship the last two years that many people have, some people have come to for the first time, right? Um, and I want my kids to be prepared for that. I want them to know that that's life. And also that living that life with the fear of that is worth doing. Yeah. Very, very worth doing. And I think if you get out of practice at making yourself go forth, uh, you know, bad things can happen. And I think we all need to be practicing every day. (laughs) That's, that's part of it. Cho- choosing those risks and knowing what's important to you uh, is something that you need, you need to work on. Yeah, You need to, you need to have those muscles.
0: I think that's, a, I love that. Like, I, I think that for a large majority of us, like we've gotten out of practice for yeah. taking those mitigated risks, right. And, and, and balancing safety versus risk, you know. You hear these stories and, and, and I, I know people that have not seen their families in 18 plus months. Like they're still in that world, right? And then I know right. other people that literally have not changed. The only right. changes are changes that have been made on them by yes. establishments, but like they have not changed a thing. Right. They're all still here, right? And, and I respect the opinions and the, the thoughts of both of them. and, and But- in the same token, I worry about, you know, when I was talking in April of 2020 about the long-term effects of the last six weeks, and I'm like, yeah, you know, we're going to have some deep ramifications with the mental health of our our country being shut down for yeah. the six weeks. I mean, holy crap. Like, yeah. I, I can't even envision uh, going back to where we were before March 2020 in our lifetime in feeling that... Feeling what we felt, right? Like feeling kind of that sense of security. Um, Yes, I I think people are now there is a there is a large population of society that is forever changed for the rest of their lifetime. They are forever changed,
1: right? And that I mean, and that seems similar to your experience and my experience, which is a more uh, specific grief moment. But there's that signpost in your life. There's a divider between before that moment and after that moment. And for a lot of people, that moment. Is COVID, and maybe it's been a prolonged two years of that moment. Um, but one of the examples that I give people about uh, making these risk calls is, you know, in the summer of 2020, you know, my parents are in their 70s, uh, my husband's parents are in their 60s, and I was concerned about seeing them. Sure. I knew that I, from what from what little we knew at that time, uh, we knew that older folks were more vulnerable. Uh, I knew that it was possible that I could maybe have it without symptoms and maybe give it to them, possibly the children as well. Although we had some data that the children were safer than an older person, right? Even for transmission. Yeah. And um, so we had a conversation with the the grandparents who are fit and healthy uh, and uh, one set works, one set is retired. And we discussed it. And I discussed it with my husband and the grandparents. At the end of the discussion, informed us in no uncertain terms that they would be seeing the grandchildren in 2020, and that it was worth the risk that they had calculated to do that. Yeah. And in our family, that meant respecting their adult decision, and taking some precautions where we could. Uh, often, in, on some occasions, hanging out outdoors um, or doing smaller gatherings, those kind of things. But that those are the kind of calls that unfortunately everybody's going to have to make uh, in the future with this added and we hope milder risk in the form of Omicron and other, and other variants uh, and with vaccines and all these things, that this milder risk is part of how we are going to have to calculate life. And that's just one example of how we did it over the last two years.
0: Yeah, you know, and and I think, again, you touched on the... The media component to all of this, and and frankly, not just this, but everything, right? Yes. But when you talk about this idea of risk and safety, um, there's also this idea of how safety is often used to make decisions on other people's behalf. You know, yeah. the 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 one thing I, that I that I shared with you before the podcast is um, I had just listened to. Joe Rogan's podcast with, uh, Dr. Malone. And, uh, for those that don't know, Dr. Malone is the, um, he invented the MRNA technology for, for a a couple of the vaccines, the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine that are used today. And it was a fascinating conversation with, again, a renowned previously respected by everyone expert in the field. Certainly. Yes. I mean, he, he, and, um, And he's now been censored. Um, They took down the episode off of YouTube and Twitter um, because it was deemed dangerous for people to hear. And I think that that is terribly dangerous for us to make these decisions based off of, and I I actually think that furthers the divide. Like let people get all of the information and make their own decisions. But when you try to censor and hide, it, it makes you even more skeptical of what mainstream media is pushing, right? Like, yes. let me be my own consumer and don't tell yes. me what I can and can't listen to. Because if you tell me I can't listen to that, I'm going to want to listen to it more. And I think, yes. I mean, that's and how it, everybody is, right? Well, and I think that's that's what clearly what's happened with that interview,
1: uh, which is like, you know, just gone crazy yeah. online. Look, He's an he's indisputably an expert in the field, right? I'm a free speech fanatic, so like even if he even if it is a total quack, shouldn't be banned. Yeah. shouldn't be censored. Um, and partly, yes, I think it is ironically much like sheltering your kids becomes part of the problem. That when people feel that you're keeping something from them, you actually fuel the very things that you're not trying to fuel. I think. Um, this makes me mad with the vaccines, which I'm so glad we have, and which do clearly you know, lessen symptoms for people and particularly high-risk people, keep them safer. And yet the people who allege to be most pro-vaccine end up talking about them as if they are not a tool that helped us, as if we have made no progress, as if you must live as if it's March 2020. And that's one of the things about risk assessment is you 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 have to be able to weigh fairly what the arrows are in your quiver. And we have some really good ones that we didn't have before. Right. Um, and so sort of speaking about it as if we don't makes people skeptical uh, that we have these tools when we do. Um, so I think the way we talk about things, um, I mean, I have many complaints <laughs> about the way media talks about things, but I do think like the more you try to put your thumb on things, uh, the more those things want to pop up and the more people want to explore them. And I just don't think it's helpful or moral because I think that free speech is a, a beautiful thing.
0: So do you think there's ever, and again, I'm, I'm asking you, you you speak a lot on free speech, you have very strong opinions, but is there ever a time where you, where you draw the line? Well,
1: so if I'm, if I have a platform and I'm deciding who's on it, sure. Like I'm not (laughs) right, but I think that our, our bars should be set very far out. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, like you said, there's a, there's a marketplace of ideas here. And if you don't let people compete, and if it seems that, by the way, private companies, I must, I must do this disclosure. Private companies, of course, have the right to do this um, and to limit different things that you see. However, if it's something that it operates like a public forum like Twitter does or YouTube or any of these things, um, and they they are sort of fueled by these users, then you should allow a pretty open field of users uh, and And the issue, I think with especially with the censorship that makes people angry is that you know Iranian leaders will be happily hosted on Twitter with um tons of misinformation and bigotry and all the things that allegedly violate guidelines, but someone like Malone or a Republican congressperson might be kicked off uh, for violations that would seem to be at least smaller than the Iranian uh, heads of state, and yet that guy remains, right? So I I think there's, um, there's deep suspicion about how these things are refereed, and that's why Uh, an open field is often better because then you don't have to get into refereeing. And it turns out that the companies are not that good at doing it uh, and doing it in a a way that looks fair to everybody and transparent. So it's going to continue to be an issue.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, again, for me, I think about, you know, this idea of media consumption, everything that's out there. I mean, listen, Facebook is a trash heap of bad information. And it, it, you, you want to talk about the biggest, um, driver of mental health, like get off Facebook, you know, get, get off your
1: your social media is.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and I look at it and and I, I actually love my kids. They don't use, um, it's interesting to watch the teenage group. Um, they, they, they don't, Use Facebook at all? Like literally, right. they've never had an right. account. Um, Instagram is like they do this weird thing where they'll post and then they take their posts down, so they only have like three or four posts at a time um, right. showing up. And it's like it has to be the perfect picture in the perfect setting. I right, mean right. The, the the things that have to go into having a picture on Instagram. But TikTok is like the the platform that they primarily use. So What did I do? I got a TikTok account. I have never posted a TikTok, um, but I follow them on TikTok because you're on TikTok. So am I, and I'm following Mm -hmm. you and I'm going to know, and you know, I mean, the TikToks are for my kids are the tick. They, they follow all the trends. So any dance that's out there, they're putting a TikTok up about it. And it's very innocent. Um, but you know, I have also seen times where they're lost in this, and you yep. know, and and it's like turn it off, turn it off, mm-hmm. and and get your butt outside. And I think you know, we talk about at the Travis Manning Foundation. You know, we are a veteran service organization, but um, I wouldn't even say secondary to that. As important as that is, the the work we do with our youth, and right. um and it's and I'm watching today. Um, just how we've actually driven our kids to do the things we're telling them not to do just by transmission. Yeah, by transmission of we're taking away the things they should be doing. Uh, yes. I, I, I'm, I'm beating a dead horse, but the idea that they would take sports away and that would be the one thing they rip away from the kids is maddening to me because I'm like- yeah, in, the, in, the, in the early days, one of
1: the, one of the reasons I made the decision to homeschool my kids last year is because uh, someone was someone in an educational capacity was telling me that putting my six year old on a device for many hours per day was the way to educate her. And I was old enough to remember a year earlier when that was the opposite of true, right? (laughs) right? And the facts didn't actually change. I understand the situation changed uh, and we had to do something in the interim. Get that uh, in areas like mine. However, again, there was no dismount from the remote learning. There was just remote learning for a f- almost a full year, if not a full year, and maybe a little more in some places around here. Um, that is unconscionable to me. That you know, the nobody, nobody made the decision. Nobody was a leader, frankly, to say on these school boards like the priority should be to get these kids back in school. So instead, they stayed on screens. Um, And we will have to pay for the damage for that. And they will have to pay for the damage for that uh, pretty dearly. Um, And I think one of the things that leads to leaders not emerging or to, uh, you know, elected folks not wanting to make these decisions is that they are risk averse. And they're risk averse partly because the coverage is so frantic that it, and it, it does not reward having a calm, and sort of data-driven approach. It really often doesn't. Like I, I was thinking the other day, if I, if I wrote about my COVID experience as it was, which was relatively minor, everyone came through fine with mild symptoms. Uh, I did not quarantine the newborn in another part of the house, right? To, to keep her safe because I have to take care of her. Um, but I know that she's low risk extremely, uh, that she likely has antibodies because I got vaccinated while I was pregnant. Uh, and that, that we were going to move through this thing, right? If I wrote that column, probably not a lot of clicks. I mean, like not, not a huge audience for it. If I wrote a column about how I was desperately trying to find a tiny N95 for my two month old and put her in the basement with somebody who was negative until I tested negative and, you know, tried to isolate my children and exaggerated every symptom as dramatically as possible that would be a that'd be a blockbuster right (laughs) but some but some of that some of that is not healthy and we shouldn't be sending the message that it is you know isolating your very young children uh in your own home uh in the ways that some people have written about doing is is not something that we should clap for is something we should talk about how to mitigate right Uh, and so I think the rewards for being super cautious and for saying that you were were much higher than the than the rewards for making a decision to to send kids back to school now that will that's shifting and there are political wins there and practical ones it's finally shifting even in um, blue metro areas uh, where teachers unions and 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 School boards are going to have to have are contending with the fact that kids have missed all this school and, and need to do something about it um, but yes, the incentives are not good
0: yeah well, and you look at too, you know again, like this idea of safety and risk like and and you, you know we talk about it a lot with our children, but you know I also look at the past two years and look at you know, parenting, there's parenting, there's relationships, there's business, right? There's this idea of entrepreneurship is, you know, um, unless you've got a great at home business, like there's so many things that have been stripped from us. And, um, and you know, what right now are the benefits and drawbacks to safety versus risk in all of these different topics? Like let's talk about fitness you know I yeah. you're you're a big uh fitness person you've run the marathon with us many times I know you're a orange theory fanatic I, yes. I have not um i am not caught the orange theory bug I've I, I've said many t- I've gone to orange theory um I do not like the idea of my name being up on a screen and <laughs> trying to get splat points and people yeah. are like like that doesn't work Knowing- yeah I'm like, I don't want anybody to know where I am, you know, except for me. But, um, but, you know, it started with, you know, a lot of these gyms just shut down. So like, what does that do? I I just got invited to a 445 club um, on Facebook today by one of my friends. It was like, uh, let's hold each other accountable and let's, you know, start the new year off right, join the 445 club because the last couple of years I've totally gotten off track haven't been able to go to the gym, uh, right. had COVID, kids, da da da. So, like, now I'm getting back into it. But it's like, and this is from a, a Marine, um, yeah. Lieutenant Colonel in the Marine Corps, who's like, I, I gotta get back on track. And I'm like, you fell off track. Like, yeah. you, these past two years had you fall off track, right? And so, you look at that and you look at like, where else are like, what other industries and what other parts of your lives are suffering um, because of where you are.
1: Yeah. And, and life is cyclical. You're going to fall off track. I, I, in the past two years had a baby. Uh, so I obviously had all the physical, uh, manifestations of pregnancy in addition to be, to being very sick while pregnant, which I think we've talked about before, which is just a fun feature of pregnancy for me. Um, so I was pretty much off my working out, uh, regimen for nine, seven months, eight months. Um, and at the beginning of the pandemic, I'm very thankful that I didn't get off track then because it saved me once this other thing happened. Right. It's Cause I was in pretty good shape. And one of the reasons for that is that again, this is another calculated risk. And the thing we need to work on, I think as a society is respecting other people's calculated risks. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, as soon as the gyms opened back up, I asked myself, do you want to go into this situation and work out uh, they've, you know, cut the ca- class sizes. You know, they made various, you know, precautions. Yeah. Um, do you want to go back into this situation with the chance that you might catch this thing, uh, or just forego it entirely? And my calculation was, I like this enough, and it's important enough to my mental well-being that I'm willing to take that risk. And so I did. Now, other people are. I- Orange theory isn't gonna be as important to them as it is to me. Um, and they may find other ways around that, but I was thankful that I, that I had done it that way. And I think, um, unfortunately, one of the cultural messages and media messages of too much of the pandemic has been not just not helpful with risk analysis, but demonization of risk analysis, that my making that decision was actually terrible for society. Well, I don't think it was because it h- helped my family and me stay happy and out of hospitals and and not vulnerable to COVID when it finally came to find us, which I assumed it would at some point. Um, and so uh, that's that's like that's the issue. That's the core issue with all of this is that there are two camps, both of whom thinks the other one has ruined their lives for two years. Yeah. And we got to move to the point that those two camps can go. Okay, this thing is here. Uh, and how do we make decisions about how to move forward, given that it's here? Yeah.
0: Well, you know, you and I had a, you and I, the last time you we were on, we had like this talk about the divisiveness of our country, right? We That was our conversation. Like, we're so divided. How do we bring the country back together? And, you know, different topic, but still the same result. Like, we are yeah. a country divided. And I wonder when, you know, I wonder if there is a way like, is there is there actually a way and and we'll look at this specifically, but is there a way that we can get the risk adverse and the people that have taken, I'll say mitigated risk, because I don't you know, I don't I don't right. know personally a lot of people that have gone, you know, licking. in uh, phone polls that people touch with COVID, like, but mitigating right, right, risk, right. risk averse, like these two right. different sides of the fence as it relates to the pandemic. Is there a way to bring them together? Um, even with knowing that the media is not going to play a helpful role in that.
1: Yeah. So I, I think that, um, it's unfortunate because the, the very risk averse and the, those who are living normal lives are going to have trouble meeting in the same spaces, right? but
0: literally and
1: figuratively. Every, right. That's not everyone. <laughs> right. right. And I think um, so, some data shows, I think Nate Silver was saying some data shows that that those who are very cautious about COVID at this point and sort of a limiting contact with others in very serious ways is a, like a, like about 15% of the public. So it's a smallish number. One of the issues with media is that it's very overrepresented in the media, yeah. right? So there's sort of parallel pandemics and you see uh, a lot of one reported uh, in the news, which is the overcautious set is sort of setting the tone um, or I will say very cautious. I think sometimes overcautious, the very cautious set set the tone. Um, and so it's gonna be tough for these to come together in real in real life spaces, but there's a whole lot of people in the middle who make different decisions, yeah. right? And I think- um, uh, a, an author, a friend of mine who, um, writes for newsweek and she actually, she has a great book out called bad news. Um, but her name is Batya Ungersargon And she, um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but <laughs> her last name, but, um, she had a quote the other day talking about how one of the ways that we do get past the bad news, which is her book is about how media can rile us up and divide us in these ways, um, is to get out, and knit the fabric of society ourselves, Yeah. right? We, that making connections with people that go beyond your social media, um, that do things that have a purpose that has maybe nothing to do with COVID. <laughs> right. um, and I apologize for coming back to the subject all the time because life has to be about more than that, right? Um, and yet it's so pervasive that it's hard to feel like we can get past that, but we must and we must practice Um So what does that look like? I, I think that a lot of times it'll look like people going to an outdoor sporting event, right. Where everybody feels fairly comfortable. I think the, the outdoors may cure us yet, right. (laughs) Where you can get risk risk averse people together, uh, with those who are less risk averse. Um, and we gotta have respect for other people's adult decisions. I mean, that's, that's the core of American society and should be. And like, I, I'm someday I'm going to write about this, I swear. But the whole Britney phenomenon, uh, I think is helpful for understanding freedom yeah. in this way, that uh, people are rightly upset that she was under this conservatorship for so many years. It was very draconian. It was very hard on her. We found out all these ways during the pandemic, by the way, that her freedom was limited. And pretty much everyone and a lot of the very cautious COVID set Agreed. Free free Britney, free Britney, free Britney, right? Well, I think that's a moral good. It's a moral good to free Britney, right? For her to make her own decisions, her to live her own life, um, even if she has some issues, which mental health issues, which I'm sure she does, right? There is risk that comes with that. There is risk about what decisions she might make, right? People are a little worried, understandably, but her freedom has value. And people understood that about Brittany. And we need to understand that about everyone, that their, their freedom has value and their ability to make adult decisions about where they want to put their time and how they want to expose their families um, to any, whatever risk it is. Uh, that's an important part of life. Yeah. And we can, and by the way, it's just exhausting to go around policing all
0: of it. <laughs> it's exhausting. I actually, I was laughing because um, I was watching, I think it was ABC News, you know, they were doing like the recap of 2021 and all the big stories and everything. And I mean, they had some wild stuff there that I was like, really, that made it? And then afterwards I'm like, they didn't even talk about the fact that Britney was freed. I mean, that was a pretty big 2021 important, news Important, important story. Yeah, okay. not because it's Britney, but this idea of a, a girl held under a conservatorship for that long, I and mean, yes. it was wild. It was wild. Like you look at that, like that happened with somebody so high profile, and yes. yeah. I mean, I follow her on Instagram. I'm a little bit worried about what may happen now that she's free of this conservatorship. But guess what? That that's her choice, right? Yes. Like that's her choice to make. Um, and yeah, you know, you you you. I think you hit the nail on the head. You said like, well, there's this group of people in the middle. Right. And, and I, I love um, Michael Smirkanish is um, he does a show on CNN in the mornings and he's from Doylestown. So I've known him for many, many years. And he always like, he has a radio show. He's got his, his television show and he always plays the song stuck in the middle with you because you know, that's um, how he positions himself. Um, And, and I always think back to this idea that like, it is the majority of people are in the middle, but we we are drowned out by yes. uh, two different two different sides. And you know, I I, I know I talk about it a, a lot, but like we have talked at the Travis Manning Foundation, we always say like we when 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 COVID first hit, uh, you know, I was like, this is this is an issue that is extremely important to this organization. Because this organization is going to play a critical role in how we move forward, in how yeah. we bring people together, how we bring people from different walks of life, different viewpoints on COVID to come together right. and and be a part of something bigger than themselves and and kind of get out of the, the mass hysteria that's happening around them and just be in service to others, do other yeah. things, you know, and- um, I, I find it, I find it fascinating that we as a country can't all galvanize behind that concept. That nobody in leadership positions is talking about that. Um, mm. It, it and, and it's so simple. It's so simple, yet it's just largely ignored. And you talk about your story of your your COVID story. In actuality, if you wrote it, it right. wouldn't get a lot of it wouldn't get a lot of hits, right? Well, this story, in the same regard, like the story right. of people just doing good shit, it's not like <laughs> right, like th- yeah, no. that's, that's not a great story. It's not gonna like you know. But but this idea that we don't focus on the right things, and yeah. it has made us, I believe, a more risk adverse society. It just yeah. has.
1: No, I I think you're right, and I think the 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 tricky cruelty of COVID as a disease is that as a virus is that it, it did take away so many resources for being healthy and happy, yeah. right? Your family, your friends, your school, your large entertainment gatherings, you know, these are these are things that we quickly learned uh, Zoom was not adequate for replacing, right? And um, with apologies to Zoom, but it just was not real life. And real life is very, very important. Um, And shielding yourself from it uh, uh, too much is is not going to go well for you. And so in in general, um, and like I said, like there there are plenty of people who are very high risk uh, and who need to be protected, right? And always were from the very beginning. And uh, I think finally we will need to shift toward a focus, on those folks and trying our best to build a society where people can work together. But I mean, it's, again, we're out of practice doing that because people haven't, in some places, haven't gathered in spaces together in a long time, right? It's been shortly in the summer um, in sort of blue areas of the country that are more cautious. People started getting together a little bit, but then we got out of practice again. So uh, these things don't, Come easily to begin with, and now we're now we're sort of behind the ball.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and you look at it like, look at how quickly things that were pre March twenty twenty considered healthy and good for you became right. bad. Became right. bad. Like you were, you were, you got together with friends. You were super spreading. You know, you like there just all these. You went to a gym. You're crazy for going into a gym, even with right. the mat. Like. All of these things that outdoor, I the one thing I um, I loved, and and you're probably going to know it because you're much more of a college football fan than me. I think it was a Florida State game, um, mm-hmm. just recently, and they had the video of uh, they were playing Tom Petty, and everyone was singing "I Won't Back Down," um, oh. and it was just the song yeah. that came on, you know, yeah. know, during a I don't know a halftime or a, a break. And the whole stadium erupted and singing won't back down. And, you know, it was, I was watching it and I'm like, this is, it was going viral on all over the internet. And I'm like, this is so cool. Just to watch everybody singing and, and just to see people out there. I mean, you're in Florida, it's sunny, it's, you know, outdoor and I saw it a few times in like, how cool is this type thing? Actually, my dad showed it to me. He's like, isn't this great? You know, I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) And he was like, maybe one of the kids should go to Florida State. It seems like a lot of fun, you know? I'm like, okay. <laughs> but then the next day I saw it front and center as super spreader event in yes, Florida. The anger. And like, yeah, and I was like, wow. How about just take this moment of unity with mm-hmm. thousands of people just, you know, like, and, and, and turning it so quickly like again something that right. w- was always considered good something that was healthy for for an individual all of a sudden has just become bad it, well and
1: again it's it's different than if you had done that gathering in may of 2020 of course right yeah like we know more things we have more tools outdoor events uh despite the media's coverage thereof uh are not there. like following the actual like really intense scientists who have looked they've looked for the outdoor super spreaders and they like they're just they're not there. the things that are advertised as being horribly dangerous do not end up being horribly dangerous whether it's Tampa Super Bowl parade, whether it's uh, whether it's protests that are outdoors, whether it's uh, college football games right And then it just seems like people get angry about the gatherings that they don't like well. That's the other team's gatherings. Okay. Well, we've all got to get used to having gatherings again, and sort of forgiving everyone for having their gatherings uh, because uh, it's going to happen. And um, and yeah, I think I think the ability to recognize a communal experience as something that's beautiful and fun is something again we have lost practice at. Yeah. Uh, and it happens all the time. And also just like. Again, just analyzing the risk there—a bunch of people outdoors in Florida at a at a football game—not likely to be that dangerous, especially since most of them are probably young and healthy, right? Yeah. And and as my third layer of 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 reasoning about this, it's not May 2020. We have vaccines. We have more information. We have experience, right? So uh, acting as if we don't have some of those measures. Doesn't uh, build confidence in those measures, which I think are genuinely, really, really helpful, and are should be leading it to us leading our lives again.
0: Yeah. Well, this was not supposed to be a, we're uh, not intended to be a hour long discussion on COVID, but I think I know,
1: but it's like so wrapped up in this.
0: Well, yeah, and when you yeah. when you when I say let's talk about risk and safety, I mean like it's kind of where it falls right now right but like let's let's kind of close it up with this idea of like okay you take covid as one factor in in life and and everything that is but like you talked about this idea we as a society are out of practice with this idea of resilience and and i kind of tie resilience a little bit to risk um for me resilience is tied very tightly to risk because for me, in order to move forward, in order to be resilient, I have to take risks. Like right. that is how I am a resilient individual. So the relationship between safety and resilience and this, this overall concept, like how do we, or somebody listening right now that that's, that's listening and going, oh crap, I guess I am a little out of practice because I actually believe that there are people, I have people in my family that are afraid and, and there's no, like they're afraid and they haven't taken that, they're so out of practice, they haven't taken that first step. Right. So if you're someone that's out of practice in being resilient, um, what are some tips that you could give to, in order to get yourself back out there?
1: Well, I've been reading up on this a little bit and, and of course, knowing my own experience, look, there's, there's baby steps, right? So if you are a person who's been very, very cautious, uh, but you have a friend who's slightly less cautious on the spectrum, not way over here, right? Um, But someone who you trust and like in your life, family or friend, um, and this is why, you know, cutting off ties with people over this is not wise or politics in general is never wise. But if you know someone like that with whom you could have a low risk gathering outdoors and just get your feet under you, um, that is... Something you should try, right? Even if it's, and by the way, feeling uncomfortable while you're there is part of it. Yeah. That's the, even if the risk is not uh, super high, your anxiety is real. Yeah. And yeah. you're going to have to work through that while you're there, I would say. And then, um, you know, actually reading the data on how dangerous things are for various populations is important. I think keeping front of mind uh, that especially as a parent, uh, that sometimes putting your anxieties on your kids is a disservice instead of actually protecting them. Like we know, we know we want to protect them and I want to protect them from everything in theory. But if I do that, I'm projecting a lot of my own stuff on them and I'm giving them things that they shouldn't have to carry. And so I've, I've always tried to be really careful about that. So that's, Maybe a different way of framing the way you're thinking about risk for your family is to think, okay, well, what do I think I'm protecting them from, and is it actually shielding from them from things that are really important to them? Um, and is it my fear or is it their fear? Yeah, uh, I think that's an important part of parenting is making those distinctions. Um, and then, yeah, just start start small, and then try bigger and bigger things, right? Um, and there may be people who just decide. That that's too much for them, but I think that coming into year two of this, it's you're gonna have to learn, or you're gonna be in your house too much, yeah, right. And I don't, I don't really super don't want people to be. <laughs> I want to protect people, and I want them to embrace as much of life as they possibly can.
0: Well, maybe we could encourage people to like. Uh, we just got approved as a after two years a sign of good things to come as charity partner for the Marine Corps marathon. So it's coming back. So maybe we could just like encourage out to people to, to sign up with our team. I mean, that's a, that's a baby step, right? Running a marathon, baby step, baby steps. That was my my first baby step. You know, (laughs) that was after my, uh, after I became a little too risk adverse, I ran a marathon. So yeah, Um, always a good place to start. Thank you for continuing to come back on as a regular guest because people love your insight and thank you offer such a great perspective that is so unbiased and just kind of, you just speak in terms of you're, you're just logical, you know,
1: you, well, I, I want to be fair to the people with whom I disagree because many of them, uh, are loved ones of mine and friends of mine, right? And so I always attempt to do that. And if I am not on the side of the issue, I attempt to be able to voice it in such a way that is not insulting um, or condescending to those, those folks because I want to understand them. And that's sort of how you get back to, to making those connections. So um, when you see other people making risk calculations that you don't agree with, you can think through that. <laughs> That's <laughs> because exactly. that's, that's the friction we're going to be running up against, uh, forevermore with this, with this, uh, virus, I think.
0: Yeah. And, and with th- life. And with life. Absolutely. I mean, don't, don't be so quick to cancel somebody out because their opinion is not match up with yours. Um, yes. I think we can take that anywhere we go. Look forward to everybody hearing your insight on what was supposed to just be about risk and safety of life. Mean- but I mean, come on. Uh, we're in the middle of a two-year pandemic, so clearly we're going to be talking about that. It's it is the it is the
1: risk that pervades uh, for so many people, and it's a good model for figuring
0: out how to make these calls in other ways. Yeah, so. absolutely. All right, so we've talked about COVID a lot, um, yes. but you know this whole idea we started with like safety, risk, parenting, like, and I. Would love for you to share uh, with the audience, because you are actually, you are not just now author, news commentator. (laughs) You are also an inventor. Well, yes, this is. You became an entrepreneur during the pandemic. So look, there (laughs) there is some silver linings. And I actually, I want you to talk about your invention, because I think it, weighs very heavily into this idea of risk and safety yeah. for children No, was,
1: Yeah. So I, yes, I don't, I don't want to take advantage of your audience, but I will explain this thing. Yeah. My husband and I invented a thing, uh, and so much credit goes to him. He did so much hard work on it. Um, it's called kid fins kid and Finn. you can find it at KidFins.com. Um, and it is, uh, so at the beginning of 20, at the summer of 2020, we had two young kids who couldn't swim. And when it comes to risk, that is like, front of mind for every parent. Like we almost every parent knows that, uh, drowning is one of the, the top causes of accidental death for young children. And it just, every time you're near water, you're thinking about it constantly when you're not near water, you're thinking about it then. And so all I wanted to do was get these kids comfortable in the water. And I had spent money on swim lessons and it hadn't really stuck. Um, and every summer I felt like we were like, Oh, let's try it again. So we're, we're at the lake trying to get them up to speed. And my husband was like, I wish we had like a a training vest that is, you know, you work with them in the water, it's very buoyant, uh, they can swim in the right position. And then we can like take some of the buoyancy away as they get stronger so that they get stronger in the water, more confident. And then by the end, maybe they're swimming. So uh, I, with very third rate sewing skills, made a prototype and we tried a vest on the girls that you could remove stuff from. Obviously not a life vest. That's like the opposite of a life vest. This is a training vest that we could remove buoyancy from and send them swimming. So it sort of empowered us and them. And lo and behold, eight hours of swimming later in a kid fins prototype, uh, (laughs) they were swimming and you know, they're not experts, but I feel comfortable with them in the water in a way that I hadn't before. And that allowed me to enjoy myself, uh, at the water when we were doing things like that. So uh, that is our weird risk that we've been taking.
0: Well, pull it up, because for those era. watching us on YouTube, I want them to yeah. see what this is because I think it's so cool. So here it is. We've done development, we've done the whole thing. And then so you, you open it, it up and you pull the, and then, the, the different buoyancy pieces off.
1: There are six compartments and you take them out one at a time, two at a time, as your kid is progressing and you're working with them in the water. Um, and it sort of tricks them into swimming because well, I would use sort of you...
0: empowers them into swimming, right? <laughs> and I think again, uh, I I love this idea of like when you're talking about risk and safety, like you have to allow your kids to take those risks, right? Yes. And yes. you know, you can't just throw a kid in and be like, here you go figure it out. Right. But like, you've actually invented a way to tie risk and safety into each other. So I love that. I think it's, it's actually perfect for this conversation today.
1: Well, and it's also risky for me to put myself out there doing something different, right? I, this is not my thing, but I think it's a a thing that could be helpful to a lot of parents with a problem that all of us have, right? This is something that we all confront in the young years of having a kid. Um, And I think it can be really helpful for it. So we have a Kickstarter. It's kidfins.com. It will redirect you to the Kickstarter um, where you can buy one for $39.95.
0: Well, and I it's
1: real. Think- it's it's a real thing. It's all developed. You can see it. Like, it's not like a, we might make this. <laughs> I
0: love it. I think that's awesome. And I think it's a perfect way to end our discussion today on an awesome high note of
1: yeah, maybe, maybe the, maybe that is the theme is to try some new things and put yourself out there in ways that are uncomfortable, which is what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And we're, we're running with it.
0: <laughs> I love it. Run with it. Take some risks. Um, and, and Yeah. It's, it's good stuff. I will be, my kids all do know how to swim, but, um, but I'll be buying some for, for those little ones that have not. Definitely
1: for the littles.
0: Yeah. I love it. Mary Catherine. uh, Thank you so much. Always appreciate your insight and, and how you uh, are able to talk logically about uh, different topics and, and really bring a perspective that whether or not, Uh, you agree with everything you say. Like, it—it's just like, yeah. Well, that makes sense. You know, it always makes sense, and and you always come from a a great perspective, a a great place, and that's why I love having you on your on the show. That's why uh, our episodes with you perform so well because people like to hear what you have to say. So, thank you, uh, for for being on again. Thank you so much. Uh, You can find
1: me at MK hammer on Twitter or at MK hammer time on Instagram, if you want and kidfins.com is my invention with my husband.
0: And Follow (laughs) her on Twitter because again, not as we said, get off, get off social media, but I love you on Twitter because you're so funny. Um, Your, your humor really comes out on Twitter. So uh, you have
1: to have a sense of humor these days.
0: You do. I can't live without it. it. Yes. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Resilient Life podcast. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and share with your friends.